Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Today, my guest is Chef Drake Leonards from the restaurant Eunice in Houston. This episode was recorded obviously before the COVID-19 hit us and put the hospitality industry into an unprecedented economic crisis. Chef Drake Leonards, like many other chefs around the country, turned his regular menu into a takeout and curbside delivery menu. If you are in Houston, make sure to support them and all your local restaurants if they are still open. And let's do the same all around the country and support our local spots. They need us more than ever. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. Welcome to Flavors Unknown Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are new to the show, I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I interview training chef, pastry chefs and bartender to learn about their creative process, share with you great food spots and find out which new flavors they are experimenting with. Last week, my guest was chef and TV personality Brad Miller, owner of the Inn of the Seventh Ray in Topanga, California. And he's the host as well of the TV show Food Track Nation. You can find the show notes of all the Flavors Unknown episodes at flavorsunknown.com. And you can follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. Let's welcome Chef Drake Leonard to the show. Hi, Chef. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for being a guest on uh, my podcast, Flavors Unknown. Well, thanks for having me. Can't wait to get going. How would you describe the scene, the food scene in, uh, in Houston? Wow, dynamic. I think that it is, uh, you've, um, look, it's the third or fourth biggest city in America. And I think that it is, uh, it's dynamic. It's um, from, from fine dining to casual dining to all the, uh, you know, all the cultures that make up Houston and everyone I think is pretty well represented. Every culture is well represented in their, in their food uh, here in Houston. And I think the chefs have taken uh, from the mom and pop restaurants to the, the chefs that, have, that, that open people like me, maybe that, that open restaurants that, that are able to pull from all of these different cultures and all of the different food groups that are going on, the, the, the ethnic uh, cuisine that's, that's being pulled from here from the Gulf coast, I think, which, uh, you know, which is just a golf that just right down the street from Louisiana, you know, a hundred miles to the east to, you know, Houston is this port city, right? It reminds me of very much of what New Orleans and, and I think Louisiana was a couple of hundred years ago, where you have a, a huge number of people that come in and bring their cuisine and culture and way of life. And it just kind of blends here in Houston beautifully. And I mean, you are not from Houston. You grew up, you know, on the rice farm in Eunice in uh, Louisiana. So how was it like? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in Louisiana, right in, uh, kind of in the heart of Acadiana. So right uh, Acadia Parish, St. Landry Parish, kind of right, um, right there. And, you know, for me, I was looking back now, I feel so fortunate to have grown up there. And I, I was able to see a sense of community a lot of agriculture, uh, a lot of farming, rice farming, crawfish, all of those things happened right there. But, but people farmed and fished and cooked and, and gardened. And there was a sense of community. And there was always something warm to eat and cold to drink on every table. And that's something that I try to take 
with me to this day in our restaurant. And, and if we can hold on to that and, and create, you know, a place that feels warm and welcome and that we've always, we, we've always got something warm to eat and cold to drink, you know, we, we can hold on to those, hold on really to that soul of what, what I was fortunate to see growing up. I feel like we'll always have a, have a place in the restaurant business. Were your, your parents, like our grandparents, like, uh, you know, like cooking? I'm just curious about what made you decide, you know, to work in the hospitality industry and, and become a chef. My parents were good cooks. My grandparents were cooks. My friends' parents were cooks. Everyone cooked in that small town. You know, there's not a whole lot to do. You, you got to think in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, I'll kind of give away my age, but small town, people cooked and entertained at home. You know, there wasn't a whole bunch of restaurants. There was a handful of restaurants and people entertained at home and people gathered at other people's houses and we were fortunate to eat very good in restaurants. But more than that, I think we were fortunate to eat really well in other people's homes. And whether someone went out and, you know, went fishing or, or went hunting or one of the neighbors had somebody always brought something, right? And so if everybody made, if there was a gumbo to be made, we would we were fortunate to go to the smoke shop and the smoke house and get the, uh, get the andouille sausage. And someone was maybe down on the coast and brought a fruit, few shrimp or crabs back. And Someone grew some uh, green onions in their garden and someone had the rice. And, and it was kind of this sense of community. And, and, and really, it was eating and, and, and kind of shopping local before that was really a thing or something that was talked about. It was just the way that things were done. And so I feel very fortunate to have kind of been able to see that at a young age. And what was the thing that made you, Jen, uh, decide to, to become a chef then? I always just, I guess I liked being around food. I, I love to eat. And I just thought I, I liked the gathering of people. I still like to be surrounded by people, I think, all the time. You know, my wife always says, if we're not, if you're not working, we're, we still have people over at our house and we're still going to meet friends. You know, I just, I just love, I love the, uh, the movement of the restaurant. I think I love the, the hospitality of a, of a restaurant. I, I love being around people. And so I think, you know, having a passion for food and having a passion for people, it's kind of, fits naturally together. So tell us about the two years that uh, you spent at uh, Cafe Boulud in uh, New York City. So what was your, your takeaway, you know, from your time there? You know, what, a, what an amazing experience. So first to New York City, where, you know, leave, leave small town Louisiana, went to college in Louisiana. And so, you know, 23, 24 years old, get on an airplane and uh, move to Queens. And again, seeing so like Houston, we're very, very reminiscent, but seeing so many cultures come together, but different cultures than I was accustomed to seeing, right? So I grew up in Louisiana and you have French and English and German and, and sort of Italian and sort of things. Well, you go to Queens and I lived in Astoria, which was a Greek community, right? And so I wasn't exposed to a whole bunch of Greek things kind of growing up in Eunice and in small town Louisiana, So, but exposed to Greek. And then you had, so the Mediterranean, right? And then not far down the street and, you know, off of Dittmar's Boulevard, you had, you know, Pakistani food and, and so many different things. And so I was able to see, and, and then of course, not far down the street, you had the, the Chinatown in, in Queens and Astoria, which was, which was in Flushing. So you, so I was just exposed to so many things being in New York, right? 23rd street, I guess, all the, the, the Indian food and so many things. So it was just, it just kind of like opened my eyes up to the whole world. And then being at Cafe Balloon, you know, what a, what a great time. Gavin Kaysen was a chef at that time and had just kind of taken over. And, and so we were a bunch of young cooks that came from all over the country to work there at that time. And 
I've met some of my closest friends and, and, and some of the guys that I look up to the most and some of my dearest colleagues in those two years. What I try to take and what I learned, I think, was to that we, I was surrounded by my colleagues really drove and pushed me, right? Yes, the system and the chefs were all great, but they were young, hungry, ambitious cooks that made me be better because they expected more out of me than I expected out of myself. And they pushed and pulled and really helped me get better every day at, at, at little things, right? At showing up a little bit earlier at reading books, just being exposed to what it meant to be a good cook in a, in a great city and a great restaurant. And those were things that, you know, coming out of college and kind of being exposed to some, some restaurants, but really being in the grind for a couple of years that your colleagues expected you to be great. And if you weren't, they demanded that you show up on time and you'd look the part and dress the part and have been read, well-read and well-versed and, and know what's going on. You know, they were going to kind of move you out, put kind of push you to the side. And so, you know, I always think that in, in our restaurant, if we can surround ourselves with great people, it's going to make us all become a little bit better. It's going to make our team better. It's going to make myself better. And it, and it just kind of, we push each other. You stay there two years. And then after that, what made you decide to go abroad? Because you went to, uh, to Europe, correct? You went to Germany, yeah. France, yes. the UK, and, uh, yes. and you worked there. So what, what made you decide to do that? Well, you know, I think what I saw, what I saw there at Cafe Balud was, you know, Danielle Balud, this amazing chef and this really fin fancy restaurant down on 65th Street. Danielle, but, but the fundamentals were still in the, the principles and the fundamentals that, that he still, I think, uses to cook, I think he would say, and, and Gavin Case, and they were all rooted in familiarity. They were all rooted in something that they had seen, right? And so a, a chef grew up in Lyon, was still cooking food from, from where he grew up, right? And still using the inspiration from home. And so it made me realize that just like, We all have something special that we grew up with, no matter where we, no matter where we kind of came from. And I think you're seeing it now. Chefs are pulling inspiration from home. And, and as we get a little older, we always kind of revert back and go back, right? For me to go to New York was maybe to, I thought that I would get away from Louisiana and, 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 and see and learn something totally different and do something that was, you know, crazy different. And what I learned was that. People are doing what they've, they're taking what they knew and grew up with and just refine it a little bit, right? And so it made me really realize that, like I said, I, we, I grew, I was very fortunate to grow up with something special and this food of Louisiana is very special. And so I wanted to kind of go digging more. And I think seeing the French side of what we were doing at Cafe Balud really intrigued me and said, hey, I can find the roots in the Louisiana cuisine that I grew up with. And the French Guana cuisine that, that we're cooking, right? And so what makes up that Louisiana kind of food, the original, kind of some of those original sellers, a lot of Europeans came over. And that's what created that kind of Cajun Creole cuisine, whether it's the, a blend of the French and the German and the Acadian and, and the Italian. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this, that'd be a great place to go kind of understand the, the origins of what we're doing now and how it became Cajun or how it became Creole. I felt like you had to get to the source. And so I wanted to go see it. So where did you go first? You, you end up to be in so, Germany first? So Germany, France? yeah. So, so okay. Germany. So, so I, I first took some, uh, 
Well, I'll tell you when I was in when I was in college, uh, I had some friends over at the Institute Paul Bocuse in Lyon, outside of Lyon, Ecoli, and so I spent the summer there. I spent a couple of long weeks. Uh, I spent maybe two months in the summer there. So based in based in Lyon, and then they would go to school, and then we would travel so down to Nice and over to Italy, and and so I Spain, and so I got my first taste of really understanding what that was, right? And you grew up there, so I think you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yes, absolutely, yes. So I, I kind of understood that it was it was as easy to get around Europe as it was to get around from Queens to Manhattan, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, I thought that. exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the analogy. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it was, it was absolutely. I realized that yes. it, it, it was far away and it felt so big, but I think once you live in New York, you know, and I think that's another thing that, New York really gave me the confidence to know that the world was so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And there were so many things to see and that it really just fueled that desire to really be able to see what was out there. Right. And it gave me the, it gave me the confidence to, to know maybe that, Hey, you know what? You don't know and you won't know and that's all right, but you got to put yourself in the position or you'll never know. And, and I never wanted to have, I, I didn't want to have any regrets. You know, I, I didn't want to be, get a little older and, and I think, you know, for anybody that's listening, young cooks or, or, or just anybody, honestly, but, but I think that uh, timing and opportunity are, are kind of go hand in hand, right? And so the, every opportunity that I've ever had, the timing was correct in my life that I was able to go. I had no really obligations. I was able to pick up and go to New York and live, you know, not, not believe me, no one was making a bunch of money, but these experiences I hoped they would pay off one day. And, and what, what I was banking on was maybe one day been able to take all this stuff and, and use it for something else. So Germany, so you went Germany, you went to the Black Forest, correct? Yep. So the Black Forest, so Southern Black Forest, right? That's Let's a great, go. that's a great place. Yeah. Unbelievable. A little, a little small town called Munstertal with uh, Mr. Fuchs, Chef Carl Josef Fuchs, Spielweg Romantic Hotel. And when I was there, they had celebrated uh, their 150 50th year in existence. So just to tell you how long it's been around. And uh, so what I saw there again, reinforced what I was saw growing up. Right. And so uh, he was a hunter and he was a forger and he also made things in house, but also we went down and bought bread from a guy four doors down, Mr. Ebner, who made the best bread. Right. And so also, we, we bought, he made cheese. And so we were able to drive up the mountain every, every other day and, and bring the milk back. The milk's still warm. The weather's, uh, the, you know, those cold days, 40, 45 degrees in the morning. And that, that milk's steaming because that milk's warm and they're making cheese. And so, again, it just reinforced everything that I'd been seeing for such a long time is that, you know, you, you pull inspiration from where you are and you try to buy the best products. And just not mess with them too much, and just cook them correctly, and clean them right, and take care of them, and and, and you'll you'll have a great product. So, and then where where are you in France after that? Nearly a year and a half in the in the Black Forest, and we're able to travel and do so many things, and cook and learn and grow. And then I uh, had some colleagues that I met in New York working working for uh, Danielle, and and they were back in France, living back, moved back to Paris, and you have so many people as you know, come to New York from Europe on work visas and different things. And so I'd always kept up with those guys and they were back in Paris and had a couch for me to, 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 to stay on for a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was couch diving all around Paris and, 
and uh, worked at a, a charcuterie shop in Ar- Arnaud Nicholas, who has a as a MOF and uh, in charcuterie. Also, when I was there, I was very fortunate. The Bocuse d'Or was uh, was in Lyon, so got to go see that and just reconnect with with a bunch of cooks who had uh, spent time in New York, whether working for Danielle or Ducasse or all of these guys. And so it was kind of like this little European network that I was very fortunate to find myself in where someone knew someone in different kitchens, you know, colleagues from New York had, had worked in, in London. And so I spent a little time outside of London as well. But it was all just, it was all connections that I'd made through my travels and through my journey that allowed me to be able to get into someone else's kitchen and just see something new and spend some time at St. John and spend some time with, uh, at the Hand in Flowers a pub outside of London. And so it was just all, listen, I, I'll, I'll tell anyone that, well, listen, I've been the, one of the most, uh, you know, I've, my fortunes have been unbelievable. I've been, I've been extremely lucky to have met so many great people and been taken in by so many people. And then after that, so I, I know you came back to uh, Louisiana, but you finally decided to uh, open Eunice, in fact, in Houston. So it's a modern Cajun Creole brasserie. So why did you choose Houston and, and not doing it in uh, New Orleans? I believe now that Houston is an extension of Louisiana in a sense. And I believe it's the, the furthest West. I'm sure city in, the, the in Texan Louisiana. people will love that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, you know, and, and, and I think there's so many people. So, so you have a major city. Uh, Eunice is 150 miles. It's, it's right in the middle of, of Houston and New Orleans. So I feel fortunate that 150 miles to the east of Eunice is New Orleans and 150 miles to the west, basically, is Houston. And so we have so many people. You know, my wife grew up outside of New Orleans and I grew up in Eunice. And we have so many friends that moved to Houston for job opportunities. And you have medical and you have oil and gas and finance and so many things. And we had a bunch of friends that were here. And uh I really thought I wanted to be in a major city where the food would translate. And I really thought that the food, the Louisiana food would translate in, uh, in, in Houston. And you have so many people from with Louisiana roots and Louisiana ties. And you also have so many Houstonians that visit Louisiana and do work in Louisiana and travel back and forth. And kind of that I-10 corridor from New Orleans to Houston is just a big, long, it's just a, an avenue for us to be able to get great seafood and great produce from the Gulf Coast of, of Mississippi to Florida, Alabama, all the way from, from Galveston Bay. And I feel like it kind of just goes back and forth, you know. And, and so I, I thought that it would be a, a great place to, to raise a family and try to open a business. And, and so we just went for it. So let's talk about your menus, um, you know, a little bit. So you are seasonally inspired you are based, you know, inspired from Louisiana, the Louisiana heritage. You have obviously some uh, European influences, I'm guessing, from, you know, your travels and your time in Europe. Uh, you're using ingredients, you know, from uh, the Gulf Coast. So how do you translate like the dishes that you grew up with? Because you said that, you know, all that you have seen in the past and, and uh, the other chefs that you have seen either in New York or in Europe, you know, they are really rooted into, uh, you know, where they are coming from. So for you, it's Louisiana. But how do you translate those dishes and elevate them in a way that makes sense and you serve them into this night setting on your, of your restaurant? Again, it goes back to trying to find the best ingredients 
for that particular dish, right? And so uh, the menu is rooted in, 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 in Southern uh, Louisiana kind of classics, but also we, we try to take little interpretations of things that we've seen as a team, you know, and I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by a great team and, and we, we all work hand in hand. And so for me, you know, for instance, one of, one of the dishes that we do, we do crispy quail. And so we're, we're very fortunate to be right here in Houston and, and the Hill Country Bandera is just a stone's throw away and they raise just the most beautiful quail right about an hour and a half from us. And so we have access to these great quail that we, we do a, just a classic buttermilk fry. We, we make this sort of flour and uh, Creole spice and buttermilk dredge and we dredge these quail and we fry them kind of like fried chicken, like you'd have just the, the most delicious piece of fried chicken. And then we take these, uh, you know, this, this McElhaney pepper mash, right, that they make Tabasco sauce with. And then we blend it with, uh, we blend it with some local honey, some artisanal honey that we get from uh, one of our local farmers. And so that to me is what a, kind of this Cajun Creole sort of Houston sort of dish. So we're able to pull from everywhere. We're able to pull from South Louisiana. We're able to pull from, from just right outside of Houston and create something that I think is uniquely modern Cajun Creole, one of a modern and Cajun Creole dish. You know, another thing that we do is like this uh, burrata with pepper jelly, Cajun caviar and, and biscuits. And that's kind of been a dish that we didn't know how people would react to it. And, and it's, it's kind of become one of our staple dishes, kind of something we're known for. And so, again, we, we make a southern bis- buttermilk biscuit, right, with flour and butter and a little buttermilk just to bind it. We take burrata. So, so really the traditional cream cheese and pepper jelly is, I think, something that people from Houston to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, to the, from the Texas Gulf Coast to the Mississippi Gulf Coast have been eaten for a long time. And so when we had access to all this great cheese making in Germany and that really kind of got to see different cheeses. And then so burrata, right? It's creamy and, and uh, it kind of kind of makes sense. And so it can take sweet, it can take spicy. So we top it with a little pepper jelly. And then we add a little Cajun caviar, right? So Cajun caviar comes from the shoepick fish that lives in the Atchafalaya Basin, right? So sort of this high, low, this, this sort of cream cheese and pepper jelly is just sort of this really traditional kind of easygoing dish served with crackers. And we try to, we try to dress it up by buying great burrata, buying a local Louisiana sort of caviar and making just a pepper jelly that we would have made at Christmas time that you'd have received at Christmas from any, a number of, uh, you know, my, my uh, family friends and serve it with these great buttermilk biscuits. And so really just trying to take the best of what we can get our hands on, but still keeping that vein and that traditional sort of Southern Louisiana, you know, vein to, to make sure that it still ties back to Louisiana. Can you tell us a little bit and describe to us how do you start like uh uh, like a new dish, for instance, like a start of an idea for a new dish. What's your, you know, the source of inspiration? I think we understood it, but uh, how how is your creative process? So, what's the different steps that you are going through when you you want to create like a new dish on your menu? We usually try to make sure that a does it make sense? Does it have kind of some of the? Is it seasonal? Can it be local, or can we take inspiration from somewhere and tie it back to? either where we are now currently. And so that's Houston and, and, and the ingredients found up and down the, the Gulf Coast or between Texas and, and kind of the South and then start with that. And so how do we make sure we tie it back? But ultimately, you know, 
it's a collaboration between our team and myself. You know, I think we're all I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by so many people that have had similar experiences to myself. And so I think for me, and, and that's something that ties back to what I learned through all those stops in my life too, that collaboration, you know, is the, the beginning process is a thing that makes the process grow bigger than what you could have imagined. Right. And so I think that for me, it's important to kind of get with our team and we all kind of keep kicking things back and forth. And then we, we scratch and we scratch and we scratch till we find the, find the, the thing, the dish that, that really everybody can agree on. It doesn't end until we find what we think is the best version of that dish. Do you have like a favorite dish that you have created? They're all very special and they're all something that we've worked uh, extremely hard on. And they've all been a culmination of everything we've kind of picked up along our journey and, and put out. And so I, I think I don't exactly have a favorite. I, I don't know that I have a favorite one. I think it's a, the season and the time and what I'm inspired by and what makes what gives me the most satisfaction, I think is to see people sit around a table and, and enjoy dishes that we're able to create with a group of people that they enjoy being around. And so I think the dish doesn't necessarily, I hope they're all really good and I hope people like them all. You know, there's a couple ones that, that I, yeah, that, that look to, to have a piece of burrata with some pepper jelly and caviar on a biscuit is, is not a bad way to start. Your shrimp and grits as well. It's pretty good. Yeah. Again, you know, and, and, and so even for that dish, you know, we're fortunate to have access to these great Gulf shrimp and we have access to great stone ground grits, not far again, not far from us. And so we just combine them with a little more butter than we should, a little bit of great cheese, a mascarpone <laughs> and Parmesan. And, and we use this smoked sausage on We make a little sausage and we use some of this smoked andouille from Louisiana. So again, we combine, you know, we, we peeled all the shrimp in the house. So we make this uh, really wonderful seafood shellfish stock and just reduce it down. So really the food that we're cooking is not uh, really it's just based on the fundamentals and trying to do, trying to cook as best we can with great ingredients. So you were talking about your team and, uh, you know, it's kind of a small world because as you know, one of your cook has been listening to my podcast for a while now. And before even you and I met, you know, back in Houston. So his name is uh, Graham Stilwell, and I think we should just say hello to him because I'm sure he will be very excited to listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to see him here in about five minutes, you know, as soon as I leave here from recording. That's where I'm headed. So, yes, he's been a great addition to our team. And I got to tell you, you know, we've been so fortunate. We have so many great chefs and cooks and stewards and servers. And, you know, Houston's been extremely good to us and 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 so is all the people in Houston from the the guests in our restaurant to the to the people that work in our restaurant you know they they've helped me fulfill a kind of a, a dream of opening a restaurant and getting to go to work every day with people that you enjoy being around so i you know not not enough can be said about i think all of everyone's team in, in all of these restaurants but you know i have a you know i hold high, ours in such a high regard i can tell you So let's talk a little bit about your leadership style. So how would you describe it? Because you're talking about working with your team and the, the whole collaboration approach. So, you know, I, I think present, it's, it's one thing that I, I am, I'm, I'm around. I always looking to see what we can do better, whether it's the, whether it's the lighting or the music or the, the way the chairs sit to the way we serve the food, to the way we're cooking, what ingredients can we get? Are we buying them? Are we in touch with as many farmers as we can be? Are we, 
are we doing the right things? I think when no one's looking and, and so I, I try to be a leader that's, that's really present. I, I, I hope I, that I try to be very approachable. I'm, I'm there to work and I, and I, I try to push our team. You know, if, if I, I tell them all the time and I've told Graham this a number of times, I, I hope that everybody, my wish for everybody in our team is that they can have whatever opportunity they want and that I can be a part of helping them create that, uh, whatever that means to them. Right. And so many people have played a, a role in mentorship to me and helping me being able to travel and see and experience and being exposed. And I, and I hope that I can play a small part to everyone on our team. I can be a part of that for, for a long time for them too. So would you recommend any of your cooks to try and experience like the travel abroad as you did it yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would tell anybody and, and I tell them all the time, go for it, figure out what you want to do and, and just go for it. Right. The, There's never a right time. Someone once told me there's never a perfect time for anything. There's never a good time. There's never enough money. There's never enough of anything. And so you just have to do it, you know, and I think if the timing's right and you, you have an opportunity and it's a, you know, you don't always know if it's a good opportunity, but, but you have to take, you have to reach. I've talked to so many people, been fortunate to, to meet and speak to so many people in, in every different business field, whether it's the restaurant business or, you know, medicine or finance or whatever the case may be. And, and I think everybody has a, a, a lot, a string, a string of good luck. You got to have some good luck and you, but you got to, you got to go. There's a lot of opportunities that the door opens and you really just go for it. And the worst thing that can happen is you come back home, you know, and, and I was very, I was very fortunate to have a lot of support. And my parents always said the doors always open to be able to come back home, no matter where you go. And, and you can start all over and regroup. And so whether going to New York and New Orleans or Europe or, wherever Houston, either way, you, you go try something and, and you have no regrets. And if it doesn't work out, uh, you can restart. And if it works out, that's, that's good too. So what destination would you say are relevant, you know, today? I mean, you've been to Europe, but the world has maybe changed now, especially the world of, um, of cooking and there's influences coming from, you know, from everywhere, Latin America, you know, in Asia. So do you have any maybe suggestion or thoughts about, um, you know, where could be the, the different destination when it comes to um, cooking experience? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I would love to travel. I haven't been kind of to Israel. I haven't done anything really in, on the Asian continent. And so I would love, I think it's where, wherever you go, I believe that for me, yes, I learned how to cook in every one of these steps, but, but I learned a little bit about myself and how to, how to live outside and learn something different and li just live, live on my own. And, and meet new people and just be exposed to new things. And so this journey is not just all about cooking. I think we get caught, it's easy to get caught up in that. You only, it's only about cooking, but you take uh, inspiration from all over and just being exposed and being around new things and being around people with different backgrounds than you eventually just start to, starts to rub off, rub off on you and whether you, whether you think it does or not. And, and I think later on in your life, you'll, you, you maybe you use it, you maybe use it the day that you, you pick it up or the day that you see it or you store it and you use it five or 10 years later, you never know where it's going to come in to play in your life. But I think that it, it will rub off somehow, some way. I would tell anybody to go anywhere. And, and, and if you have a, a chance to go somewhere where you can afford to go, or somebody has a couch for you, you know, hey, listen, that, that works. That's what I, I did. Listen, it wasn't always the most, lo most luxurious 
thing that the, you know sleeping wherever you could and doing sure, what you had but to do but that was not the important I, aspect not at all not at all exactly just do it exactly just do, just it, do yeah. it make just it happen it. exactly that's it make it happen yeah what is uh, the food that maybe that you are obsessed with um, at the moment you know being here I, I can tell you something that i've been exposed to it in houston not really growing up with it much at all as uh, I love the Texas barbecue and the, the beef, beef brisket and, and barbecue. I, I love to eat it. Just starting to learn about how it, how to really cook it. There, there are really some, some folks here that have mastered that stuff. And uh, so, just to be able to eat it, I feel fortunate just on Saturdays sometimes to take my little boy and go grab some barbecue at all the different spots. And and, and look, uh, another thing that we lo I love to do with my family uh, is go get Tex-Mex. There's a little something for everybody. My little boy loves tortillas and. My wife loves queso dip, and I like it all, so it doesn't really matter to me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think spending every little moment outside of the business with my family is important to me. And, you know, again, all the ethnic food that are, that's here in Houston and have the ability to, to feel like you've traveled across the world, halfway across the world, but you're just a short, a short commute down, uh, down the road here has, has been something that I feel very fortunate to have access to here in Houston. Um, and you have, a, as well in Houston, uh, being one of the most diverse, you know, city in the country, uh, you have a lot of different, you know, ethnic groups with uh, different, you know, backgrounds. So Vietnamese influence, you know, Vietnamese influence is very, pretty strong, you know, there as well. Absolutely. Let's switch a little bit to social media and let's say the, uh, the impact that maybe social media has on the culinary space because you are on social media you are you know quite active uh, you know on it does you know instagram for instance impact or impacted your way of um, of cooking or maybe plating knowing that there's a lot of people that are going to uh, you know take pictures and um, and post it and um, it's kind of a a promotion from you know about your restaurant so i'm i'm just curious to see if this is something that uh, you have thought of it, it has a major impact, uh, social media and, and the ability to connect with the guest, the ability for yeah, everybody to see, you know, what we're doing on a daily basis, and, but also for us to see what everyone else is doing. So I, I think it's great. I, I don't know that it not necessarily changed the way that we played it. I, I do think that it makes you, every time you see something go out, you know, you, you know that, like you said, it could be, there's a photo probably going to be taken. And, and so it, for me, it makes us, I can use it to say, to say to our team, hey, we have to make sure we're consistent because we, we want to, something that I think all of those great restaurants that I've been exposed to, they all, they have a consistent product. And, and I think any quality business is, creates consistency. And so whether the consistency, the way we cook it, the way we plate it, the way we serve it, the way we present it, yeah, it's going to be photoed and, and put out there so into the world for anyone to see. So I would like to pick up your brain a little bit. You know, I'm asking always, uh, you know, the guests that I have on the show that question. And what would be your suggestion how a home cook, like a foodie person like I am, for instance, can prepare? Maybe that we can talk about gumbo because it's, you know, on your menu and it's definitely Louisiana heritage. But how would you suggest that uh, we prepare it to make it a little bit unique spin, you know, on it, like uh, kind of... Uh, you know, the influence from, 
chef uh, great leonard style <laughs> yeah uh you know we do something we do something in the in the restaurant that that was something that i grew up with and and it's found in little pockets of louisiana not everyone not everyone does it and again i think gumbo is something that is different from home to home from region to region from parish to parish and so every gumbo is a little bit different and so every gumbo is unique the cook makes it unique just and by the way that they do it. But we serve ours with a little bit of potato salad, right? I little I like mine a little with a nice dark brew and I like it a little thicker. We I like to add a little smoked meat, sausage and tasso, a little chicken. I love a chicken and sausage gumbo. It's what I grew up with. I love a great seafood gumbo as well. And so but I like to serve it with just a little bit of potato salad right inside. And I think that's something unique and and at the restaurant we uh we take the skin of our chicken and make little chicken cracklings and serve that with a little side of chicken cracklings and, uh, and potato salad. And that kind of makes our gumbo a little unique. And at home, you know, at, at home, you can make, make the potato salad. I like just a little touch of horseradish in our potato salad. And you can crush up some, uh, you know, some little uh, pork cracklings that you can get, uh, you know, chicharrones are, are at these great markets throughout the country. And it just gives you a little crunch and our little side of saltine crackers is the way that we ate it as well growing up at home with our potato salad and our rice. So two questions about this gumbo here. You said it's the chicken and sausage. What kind of sausage do you uh, use for, you know, for the gumbo? Yeah, we use andouille sausage. We, we use an andouille sausage that is made by some of our friends in Louisiana, and, and they send it over. So it's this heavily smoked, heavily seasoned pork sausage that we use that's kind of really the basis for a lot of things that we do and you get that smoky you get that smoky porky sort of uh flavor that it adds depth depth to the gumbo and there's you can get it online probably most you know a lot of places in the country now sell it in grocery stores all over but i think that's one of the the key ingredients to a great gumbo Okay. And you mentioned your potato salad. So you said that it is inside. So how do you, uh, how do you plate it then, um, you know, in the gum, like the gumbo? Yeah. So you, you have your, uh, your pot of gumbo and I like to, I like to just put a little bit of rice and just float a little bit of potato salad right on top. It just kind of gets all mixed in. And, and so that's kind of the German influence of, of sort of, uh, the part of Louisiana that I grew up in where kind of the Acadians and the Germans all kind of settled on that flat prairie land of, of Acadiana and the smoked meats of the Europe, uh, you know, of the Germans kind of met with the, the pork and the, uh, the things that were grown right there and that they could get their hands on. And so that's kind of where all that, those cultures kind of came together to create this cuisine that we know Southwest Louisiana, the cuisine of Southwest Louisiana, the, the Acadiana area. Very cool. Thank you for sharing this with us. So I, I would like to uh, finish the uh, interview with a series of rapid fire questions, if it's okay with you. Absolutely. What are like the three cookbooks that had the most influence, you know, on you? You know, I tell you what, I'm, I'm looking at one now. And like I said, as I get older, I think I go back to some of these Louisiana cookbooks, but always pulling inspiration from those Louisiana kind of River Road old cookbooks. I'm looking at uh, always taking inspiration from like what Paul Prudhomme did. So based in, you know, Louisiana and sort of took the food of, of Louisiana. Opelousas is not far down the road from where he grew up from, from Eunice, where I grew up. So 
you know, he, he took the cuisine of Louisiana in the, you know, 30, 40 years ago and put it on the national stage. So, you know, I pull inspiration from those kind of older cookbooks. And then again, the, 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 some of the French, you know, some of the, um, old school French cookbooks like, what, like the LaRousse Gastronomique or, yeah, you know, exactly. Like or, yeah, yeah. you know, LaRousse Gastronomy or, or like Ferdinand Point. So some kind of some of this classic Paul Bacuse again, you know, someone that, 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 that classic cuisine and how to find the balance between both. So you and I are going on a tasting tour, you know, in Houston. So which, um, think about five locations, uh, you know, beside Eunice, of course, but five locations that you would take me to. It could be food, it could be bar, it could be a food store, it could be um, a brewery, you know, a bakery, whatever. What are like the five things that, uh, five locations that you would take me to? Oh my goodness. Um, uh -huh. Listen, there's, there's more the than spot. five and you really, you really put me <laughs> on the spot though. I know. I think, and I will tell you, I, I don't have, you know, people ask all the time, what's your favorite place for barbecue or Tex-Mex or crawfish or gumbo? I'll be honest. I, I really don't have a favorite spot. What I've found is that there's so many people doing so many great things that they are all delicious. And my favorite spot is wherever we find ourselves. That is the truth. No, sorry, like said, maybe maybe one, so uh, one location that you just discovered like recently and then, you know, that uh, had impact on you. Yeah, you know, for, for uh, so we would definitely have to go have some sort of maybe tamales or, or something for breakfast. It's something that I discovered being in Houston that was that we did for Christmas one year. And I just I just can't get enough of it. I didn't grow up with it. And, and sort of breakfast tacos that I love. We would definitely go have to have a little barbecue, a little brisket and pork ribs and, and get some barbecue. You know, I love to, to take my family and my little boy to the park. So there's so many beautiful parks here. Memorial Park and Herman Park. We'd have to stop and maybe uh, just see what you, there's so many people running and you just see the Houston, all the cultures and all the people of Houston just kind of gather and, and uh, get out and see some greenery. We probably have to get, get a little cold beer somewhere. There's this classic ice houses, which are just little, little bars uh, that serve beer and they're kind of open and on a nice, beautiful day. There's nothing like having a, a cold beer in the afternoon. And then, uh, yeah, I, I mean, even again, like I said, I love to have take our team during the holidays for, for Indian food. The, there's so many great Thai and Vietnamese restaurants. And Emmanuel, I tell you, you really got me good because there's so many places that, uh, <laughs> that this and, uh, city has to offer. You are, pretty good, you are pretty good at describing and staying very generic. And uh, you are not making any uh, enemies like <laughs> That's very really good. Uh, listen, I, 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 you know, listen, I, there's, there's not, there's just so many. I mean, I think that's the beauty of this town and that's the beauty of, of being here that there's so many people. And I said it earlier, but, but there's so many people doing so many great things. Uh, that it's hard to just name one. And I think that's, I think that's all that's happening all over the country. Right. And I think that's the beauty of where we are with food. And that's the beauty of where we are in this time in our life. Ne ne next time I come uh, down to Houston, I I'll let you know a little bit uh, before, and then you, you can, uh, you know, you can organize, uh, you know, the, the trek with the list. <laughs> we'll have a whole in day. Advance. We'll have a whole day. I can tell you. <laughs> and then we'll go back down. I'll tell you what, we'll do Houston a half a day and then we'll, We'll drive oh, down yeah. to Louisiana, and I'll take you to some of my favorite places there. That's all true. these little road I, stuff. I've, I've done a tour of Louisiana, but I don't think I've been to uh, Eunice. I don't think I've been to that part. So, but I, I love I love that area, definitely. So, what's your talking about Louisiana? What's your favorite Louisiana food? Again, I'm going to ask you to pick one. 
yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't. You know, I think I think what represents where I'm from and, and something that we do and something that represents everything I love about restaurants is just boiled crawfish, right? And so a crawfish boil, they're, they're a lot of produced in, in the Eunice area and the area I grew up in. And uh, I mean, I, I would crawfish. I worked for some guys when I was younger and that was kind of a rite of passage. I think the way, a way to make a little extra money when you were 15, 16, 17 years old. And, and so now the, you know, to be able to, to have a little crawfish boil means that we get to throw a little party for our closest family and friends. And, and so I think, you know, everything that goes with the crawfish boil is what I, what I love about restaurants and what I love about, you know, celebrating with our friends and family. Okay. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food? You know, I, it's funny because uh, last night I came home late and my little boy, my wife, we, we, we sat and ate a couple of Oreos. So I think any sort of like little junk food like that, sometimes late at night, I find myself digging in the, in the pantry with my wife and my little boy. Now talking about the restaurants. What's your biggest pet peeves like in the kitchen? I, I tell our team all the time, we always talk about the three foot rule, you know, and so everything in three foot radius of you is your, is something you, you can affect that, right? You can positively affect everything around you in three foot, whether it's something on the ground, whether it's something's not right, whether something doesn't look right in a pot or a pan or, or it's dirty or whatever the case may be, pick it up, clean it up, take care of it. Just really, just really trying to own our space and it's ours and, and we built it, but we all have to take care of it together. And if we don't, uh, we'll lose it. And, and it's, you know, this whole ecosystem is very fragile in a sense. If we don't take good care of it, uh, we'll lose it. So kind of the three foot rule. If we take, if everybody takes care of everything within three foot radius of them, everything will be correct. And our guests will benefit from that. And so will our staff. So everybody will benefit. So, Chef, then uh, we are going to um, close this interview on these uh, three-foot rules and uh, with uh, your, those last, last thoughts. So, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you as well uh, for welcoming uh, me last time when I was in Houston and at your restaurant, Eunice. I hope that um, you know, a lot of people listening to the podcast will stop by and uh, taste uh, your outstanding food. Well, listen, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And, you know, we can't wait to get you back in Houston. And I owe you a little tour. So we can't <laughs> wait to have you. Okay. Thank you, Chef. All right. Thank you so much. If you like this episode with Chef Drake Leonard, please share it with a friend or a colleague, as I always welcome new listeners to the show. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, as you don't want to miss any new episode. Be sure to join us in two weeks. I have some episodes already recorded, for example, with celebrity chef Roy Yamaguchi from Hawaii and a baker in Houston. But I am as well working on an episode with guests that can share their thoughts about the impact of the current COVID-19 on the hospitality industry. So stay tuned and I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.